Welcome to the Moments of Illumination podcast. Each episode, you will hear stories from everyday people sharing remembrances of a shift in consciousness, self-discovery, or moments of illumination. This is Linda, your host. Today's episode is Illumination Through Recovery. Hi, Teddy. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited. If we were on that TV game show from the 50s and 60s, do you remember What's My Line? Your voice alone would give you away. We would know clearly you're a singer, songwriter, and a musician just from the sound <laughs> of your voice. <laughs> what is your genre? My, my passion in the genre is, uh, I guess you would call it Americana. But it's based around American roots music. Um, I started out for years playing in the blues circuit in Boston, which had a great theme. Um, but I did make a move to Nashville in 99. And I, because I've always had that passion for bluegrass music, um, singer songwriters from Texas and Nashville, and, you know, real country music like the old guys, you know. Teddy Larkin is a singer-songwriter in the American Roots tradition who played with Bo Diddley and John Lee Hooker, among others. He was designated Drummer of the Year in 1996 by the Boston Blues Society and played for the New Orleans Second Line Jazz Band, the Hot Tamale Brass Band, who has performed at the Boston Red Sox pregame shows since 1999. The, uh, the 80s and the 90s were a really exciting time. Um, I kind of was in, I was a drummer for a prominent blues band in Boston called the Rick Russell Band. And we were the pretty much the house band at a club called Harper's Ferry in Alston, Mass, um, kind of BU, near BU. And um, we just, uh, we did four shows with Bo Diddley. Um, and being a drummer, that was, uh, you know, just amazing. And um, also, I, you know, I'd, I'd heard nightmares, um, I'd, uh, stories about working with him and how he would fire you right on stage, you know, and I've never been nervous to perform before, but I did my homework and I, I grew up listening to that music and uh, he, uh, he turned around during rehearsal, we had like a 20 minute rehearsal before the first gig. And he goes, this boy did his homework. And from then on, it was it was easy sailing, you know, but it was an honor to play with him. And we did four shows, two, two one year and then two the following year. But when he invited us back, we were really excited. And John Lee Hooker um, has a lot of ties to um, the Boston and Cambridge blues um, circuit. And he's a rock and roll Hall of Famer, one of the founders of uh, Boogie, Boogie Blues, um, you'd call it. And um, he just walked in. He had just won a, uh, a Grammy Award with Bonnie Raitt, an album he did with Bonnie Raitt. And he just kind of, him and his entourage kind of came into the club, and I was the guy on drums and uh, um, goosebumps, you know. Um, but so that was a great experience. And I was young at the time, I was probably in my early 20s. And getting to work with these people, I, it, I learned a whole bunch, you know. It was great, great experience. 
Bo Diddley was an American singer, guitarist, songwriter, and music producer who played a key role in the transition from blues to rock and roll. His hits include Bo Diddley, Who Do You Love, and Before You Accuse Me. John Lee Hooker rose to prominence performing an electric guitar-style adaption of Delta Blues. He was an American blues singer, songwriter, and guitarist, and most notably known for the song Boom Boom in the movie The Blues Brothers. I love all this stuff, the documentaries about this session, musicians like the Wrecking Crew and um, even like the life of Rodriguez. We were talking about that. Um, what is that movie? Finding Sugar Man? Finding Sugar Man. Wait, it's actually Searching for Sugar Man. Yeah. And the Muscle Shoals documentary that was another was really good one. Love that one there's also a great one about the bluegrass he he had the started new grass revival and they were all amazing talents um the banjo player uh bella fleck bella fleck uh, right yeah that one i loved muscle shoals me and too there, there's a movie called um standing in the shadows of motown oh that and sounds good You have an experience that, that you're here to tell us about. As a recovering alcoholic who had an awakening in Nashville, mm -hmm. uh, but had one first in Boston, who at 34, you had what you would call a dark night of the soul. Is that what happened? Yeah, um, I was at the time, so the, 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 the drugging and the drinking was kind of spiraling out of control. And there was one night in particular where I was on stage and I remember, and music has been my passion since I was four years old. I pretty much knew around second grade that this was going to be what I wanted to do with my life. And I realized that I was more interested, my passion for the music was um, overcome by my addiction. And I literally remember that night on stage waiting for the show to end so I could get my fix with the booze and, and the drugs. And... Um, it was a little while later, and I was living with this woman who was a um, an addict herself, and it was a, it was a, a very dysfunctional relationship. And I was in the studio, recording studio, and I realized that that night, and I had been drinking heavy, but I realized that night I couldn't go back to her place and see her, and I had to end this relationship. And I called her on the phone. I was afraid that, and she was a very wealthy, prominent figure in New York City. And I was afraid that if she were to die, I would be the one to blame from her. Her parents were very enabling. And anyhow, she lived on Newberry Street in Boston. And I was passionately, I mean, I was very, very attracted to her. But so I called her to say I, I, the relationship is over. Teddy would later write this song, This Storm, about this relationship. You can hear it in full later in this episode. She, um, so I told her that I, I wouldn't be coming back. And so on the way home, this is back when we had cassette players, I was driving home and I had leaned over a little bit to rewind the tape that I had just recorded in the studio. 
and I swerved a little bit. And I was pulled over and I got a DUI. And part of, um, I was ordered by the courts to do a two week stay in a rehab, um, a detox rehab in Worcester, Mass. And I'd never done that. That had never happened to me. I'd reached my bottom. And um, so I went and literally the day I walked into my room with bunk beds and with a bunch of, you know, a lot of ex-cons and it was a scary place. And I literally felt the weight and the desire for alcohol miraculously just taken from me. To this day, and I've traveled all over Europe, all over the world, to this day, it was the greatest vacation of my entire life. While I, right before I went into that um, detox, I um, met at one of my shows, um, and she met me at my worst, although on stage, it, you would never, it, it was a, I was a good showman. Um, I met my, the, my future mother of my son, Robbie. So I moved down to um, Nashville in a Penske truck towing a uh, Ford Escort and had to go through the Blue Ridge Parkway up and down those hills and all around and stuff. So we move into to Nashville right near Vanderbilt University. It was a brownstone. It was kind of cool. It reminded me of like having a place in the back bay. Um, and Vanderbilt University is very similar to Harvard University. You know, so it's you know, and I just felt at home. And now the thing with Nashville is it's, it's got everything a big city needs, but it's got the charms of a small town. And that's why it's so beneficial for a musician, because you're constantly networking happens by accident. It's so easy. You know, um, the stars aren't afraid to just go out and sit at a, at a diner and have a burger and, and, and talk with you. And that's how you get your songs passed around. And it's still old school that way. So this is 1999, and I moved down there. And um, before that, my brother also suffered from this disease of alcoholism. We have a, a, it became a song, but there's a line in, I like to tell people about my family. I was the youngest of five. I had two brothers and two sisters. I was the youngest. And uh, in my family, it was PhDs and DUIs. The women got the PhDs and the, and the boys kind of struggled with drugs. Um, he was the one when I was born at four years old would rock me in the, in the rocking chair at night playing Beatles music. And he was where I found my love and passion for music. He wasn't a musician himself, wonderful taste. So um, about three months after I get to Nashville, where I'm supposed to be out networking, meeting people, um, I celebrated my one year in Nashville. He actually sent me a card. He was being one who understood the disease, sent me a, a, a birthday card for sobriety. And about a month after that, he had passed away um, from a, as a direct result of this disease. And then the mother of my child and I break up. There, and that was the first 
real death in my immediate family was this brother I loved who I idolized. He was my hero in a lot of ways. And then um, my girlfriend leaves me. And I'm actually driving a 1981 Cadillac Coupe de Ville, which I inherited from my brother when he passed. And it was a great car. I love big, big, you know, Cadillacs, Memphis and Tennessee. They just kind of go together. And but I was lost. And I actually one of the reasons why the relationship broke up is I went into a pretty severe depression. No, I wouldn't say severe depression, but I was in no mood to go out and network in Nashville. I even put my guitar, I grounded my guitar, I put it on a stand. I took a job at the Nashville, uh, Tennessee and newspaper and just said, I'm grounding my because There was so much going on. I thought it was too cliche for me to write songs about my dead brother. Uh, then she left me because of my, uh, she just didn't like how I was being depressed. Then my father dies and both of them are Roberts who I named my son after. And it was unexpected with my dad. Um, so now there's two major figures in my life that have passed away I'm living in a city I really don't quite know yet my girlfriend's left me and I was kind of numb and all that feeling I got from the awakening that I had I call it an awakening back in the detox about a year and a half two years before uh, that was gone and I had nothing to embrace and I'm driving home from my from work, and I'm driving over the Cumberland River. I can I, I can bring myself there while I'm talking about it right now. But um, again, this overwhelming feeling of physical, emotionally, and spiritually came literally came through my body from my toes up through my chest up to my head, and I exhaled, and I just. <laughs> I'm not a religious man, but all of a sudden everything seemed okay. It made, um, I was accepted that one moment I accepted that they were both gone and there was a reason that they were gone and I'm in the right place right now. Everything's going to be okay. And about a month after that, I started writing and within a year I was playing Friday nights at some of the best songwriting venues in the world. A Yankee boy from Boston and flourishing. I, I put out three CDs during that um, about a five year period and was also playing drums for people. That's how I got to meet the great songwriters I wanted to meet by being a drummer because everybody needs a good drummer. So I'd hop in and then kind of, hey, listen to this song kind of deal. And it was just a beautiful uh, period. I, um, I, from when I got clean in Worcester, I had nine years sobriety, clean and sober. And um, during that time, um, I wanted, I wanted to, I had this guitar lick that was just really contagious. I, I loved it and I kept playing it over. And one of the things they do in songwriting in Nashville is um, co-writing, where two people, songwriters come together and they, they never bring a one that's already they can complete, but the one that they're just stuck on. And I had, so I was doing my first co-write. Now it was probably, it was probably about three months after that feeling I had driving the Coupe de Ville um, with acceptance of the passings of my brother and father. And I wrote this song about that woman that I was living with, the drug addict, 
in Nashville. And um, that there's a line in the song where it says, uh, Ruthie, get your coat. It's time to go. You're going to say the night's too young. I know you took a warm feeling and you made it cold. Ruthie, get your coat. It's time to go. And that was kind of it was about her, the whole song. And um, it's called The Storm. And, uh, you know, all about how she never made the family get togethers. Just a classic. Uh, but I think I was also writing about myself in my past. The next day I get a call that they found her dead from a drug overdose. I hadn't talked to her. I hadn't spoke with her in two years. Um, and this my first co-write in Nashville that totally dis- 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 describes in, in, in song form what it's like being in love with an addict or being a family member of an addict. And so, yeah, the next day I get a call that they found her dead in that, 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 that apartment building we were living in together. your coat, it's time to go. You're gonna say the night's too young, I know. You took a warm feeling and you made it cold. Ruthie, get your Sister's been planning this one forever Chance to get the family all together We can't depend on you, you're just like the weather Sister's been planning As you lifted up your glass By the second one down I swear I saw the lightning flash What are we gonna do? How will we Ruthie's storm is blowing out to sea She left her mark on you and me I'm hoping that day will come We can wait See the morning sun but 
we can face our fears and not turn and run and I'm hoping that day will come and the rain came down just as you lifted up your glass by the second one down I swear saw the lightning flash What are we gonna do How will we get through the storm For somebody that it was, I wasn't, it wasn't until I was 38 years old that I experienced death of immediate family. And I always wondered how I would deal with it. What would I do? And death is such a sad and scary thing. And I've learned to realize that there's, there is some, there's a, that, that awakening kind of said it to me that it's okay. It's all okay. Mm. And, you're and, saving yourself. You're reaching out to your, to yourself in service to help others, but you're doing it from a place that energizes your life, right? Yeah. 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 That's, and, and that's how this, the program works. And that's how mm. my recovery working is just what you said. I'm energized. And the moments of illumination continued in the life of Teddy burning through that fog of denial when he simply showed up for an outing with his son, Robbie. My son went to Camp Beckett in the Berkshires. It's right on the New York border, way up there. Beautiful camp. And the camp is all about loving your co-camper. And it's a very spiritual camp based around spirituality. And my son loved it. And fortunately, he's really good at meeting people. So he's never going to be alone without a friend up here. So he blossomed. Um, he went from the ages, uh, the age of nine to 12, I think. And every year he'd go back and a lot of the same people from all over the, the globe went to this camp. And we were the token poor family. He got a scholarship to go there. Um, but anyway, they would have a church service, a spiritual of any identity, with any, any denomination. Yeah. Thank you. A horrible vocabulary. Um, Recovering Catholics. <laughs> Yeah. We don't know what that's called because we're not allowed to know what that's called. <laughs> yeah. uh, but any denomination. And um, I was, it was the first year that I was clean and sober this, this time around. I used to, I would go to those things when I was still drinking. Um, Cause I, you know, I told you I had a relapse after that awakening. 
five years of his youth that I was an active drinker. Um, and when I would go on those uh, father-son weekends at his camp, um, I would have to not drink. So when I'd first get up there, I'd still have the shakes, you know, and I'd have to kind of come down. And, and it was a very great place. It's just, I, my son brings so much joy to me that the shakes went away and I took part in, in this, um, in the weekend. But the following week, summer, I was clean and sober over a year, and, oh, about a year. And um, I go to his, uh, any denomination church service the last Sunday before everybody goes home or the fathers go home and it's fathers and sons and you gather and you sing along with hymns that they give you. And all of this is about love thy, love thy brother and love, love the earth kind of thing. And they ended and here I was clean and sober with my son camping. We had to, you know, and I'm not much of a, you know, a camper, but we did, we camped together. We're pulling this off and it's the last Sunday and it's right on this lake in the Berkshires. And the song that they sang was Ripple by the Grateful Dead, Ripple and Still Water. And I'm mm. reading it with my son and we're singing. He knew the Grateful Dead from his dad. Right. Tears pouring down my face of how beautiful this moment was. <laughs> And my son looked at me That's and it, it. it was so sweet. He just looked at me and goes, are you crying, dad? And I said, yes, son, this is beautiful, you know. Thank you very much, Teddy, for being on this show. Teddy's song, The Storm, will be available on CD Baby this summer. Appearing with him on this recording is Rachel Namika, a former guest of this podcast. Thank you for listening to the Moments of Illumination podcast. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at moi.podcast or email us at Moments of Illumination at gmail.com.